Welcome to Recovery Guy Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Recovery is a lifelong process. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy. And if you didn't catch uh, Tuesday, the fix, I want to welcome you to Thursday, the checkup. Everybody needs a good checkup. And I don't care if it's with your psychiatrist, psychologist, your dentist, your annual physical, you go to the DMV to renew your driver's license, you get that checkup. I check my bank account every morning because I need to see what's in and out, right? And hopefully more is in than more is out. But we're always doing a checkup. And the, and the great thing about recovery is that checkup, that 10th step where we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. That is a checkup. When we look at the first nine steps of recovery, whatever recovery genre you come from, we're doing essentially the same thing. We have maybe have a different label here and there, but at the end of the day, we're trying to find a new way to live that demands rigorous honesty. And that honesty is being willing to do that checkup to see where I'm at, what I'm doing, what I need to tweak so I'm insured at least the same level today as I got yesterday and hopefully just like compounding interest just a little bit more, right? So that's what the checkup is all about and I'm excited to be here. Once again, I'm in Southern California. Laura and I are on a little vacation and I took the opportunity to sit down with Scotty B. If you heard the first podcast uh, from uh, Tuesday, you'll know where we're at. If not, listen to it after or before, it doesn't matter, but just make sure you listen, you subscribe, you share, and, you're co- and, and you comment on this. So, Scotty, say hello to everybody. Hey, good to be here, Robert. Thank you for coming back over to Welcome Home and uh, putting out the podcast from uh, the back house here. It's good to be here with you. Well, you know, Scott, if there's, if there's anything I do, it's I, uh, I appreciate a person who's a servant. Thank you. you know, for those of us who have been fortunate to have been recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, our service is our reasonable response to the power greater than ourselves, who surely was doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Would you agree with that, Scott? I would. It didn't, wasn't like that at first for me, though, because it was about me. Yeah. Me, me, me. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I self and me, as we call it, right? That's right. You know, and 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 even when we look at the twelve steps of recovery, you know, there's not an I in there. There's not a me in there. There's a we in there, and ourselves, and and everything is incorporating. It's it started. Uh, Scott and I are sitting across from each other at a table, and it started that way in AA as well, just across the table, wondering what it could be like. If two individuals suffering from the same affliction could come to an agreement 
and how they could affect the lives of others. And today we're still doing it, right? We're still carrying the message, right, Scott? Bill and Bob fixed it all for us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Scott, uh, before we get into um, our discussion today, remind everyone of what your sobriety date is, because I think it's significant that people understand uh, the length of time you've been here. Wow, I get the chills when you ask me that, because it makes me reflect back to September 21st, 2006. That, that was my miracle day. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and the miracles keep occurring, right? Daily. Yeah. And, and do they occur through osmosis, Scott, or do they occur because you continue to work the plan of recovery? Yeah, it would be the latter of that. Yeah. Because I continue to work this plan of recovery that uh, doors open and things happen that are beyond my comprehension sure. at times. Yeah. And uh, so, yes. Well, when, when we, let's go back to that day and move forward from there because we sort of left off in, uh, in Tuesday's podcast. So you hit the doors. And, and I know a little bit of your background, you, you go into detox, you go into treatment. Let's start there and sort of move forward from that moment where you first were introduced to real treatment. Yeah. So uh, again, if I can reiterate back, you know, I, I, and when I was doing my incarcerations, those little wino times, as we talked about, the AAs would come in, the NAs would come in, the church would come in. So I was something planted there in, the, in, in that. But what happened was, is that the, I got that nudge from the judge, and I talked about it in the last podcast, and it was a Proposition 36. Uh, I was mandated <laughs> to do an uh, outpatient program. And uh, my thing is, if you remember from last time, is... I don't do programs, Your Honor, indicated sentence, but this time was different. Um, I had gotten out of a, gotten out of a, a two-year commitment with the CDC, the California Department of Corrections, and uh, this time they gave me a program and I took it. Um, I walked into uh, what I call a trap. We call it Trap 36 instead of Prop 36 because my <laughs> mindset is I'm not going to complete this. They're going to send me back to jail. Right. I'm going to be back there where I ended up. So how that happened was I, I showed up. But when I showed up for the intake, um, I stopped at a friend's garage, that normal garage I was sure. hung out at. You know, the garages and alleys and back streets and, and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I took a bottle of vodka and I turned it up. And I drank as fast and as hard as I could until I finished that bottle. And then I took a uh, some of the party favors that we used and, yeah. to get me going again. And I hit that as fast and as hard as I could, possibly could. And I uh, walked through the doors of uh, uh, a facility and uh, they sat me down in a room. It was very awkward and uncomfortable. My, my feet were shaking, my knees were shaking. They asked me, when was the last time you used? And I said, well, Probably like two minutes ago. I think I'm still probably smoking right now. And I know I'm reeking of alcohol. And they said, well, you don't really look that way. And I said, well, you know, uh, nothing's working for me anymore. Yeah. And I'm normalized by this right now. Yeah. And uh, they asked me, you know, uh, what did I use? And I gave them an explanation. I used some methamphetamine and some vodka. 
And they said, what have you used in your life? And I said, well, why don't we start at the top with what I didn't use over yeah. my lifetime? Yeah. Because depending on what decade it was, sure. you know, I was introduced where there were certain fads and things that oh, were yeah. happening. Yeah. And uh, I was always sucked yeah. into those because yeah. I was riding on the coattails of others. You know what? I remember in downtown Cabina, yeah. and back in the disco days, right? Back in the right. 70s, and certain designer drugs were coming through there. And it was really whatever was popular that seemed to partner up nicely with the alcohol. I have a yeah. disease of more and it doesn't exactly. matter if it's yours or mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it uh, if it was if it uh, partnered up nicely with alcohol, or even if it didn't, if it got me to that place, then it was on the list. Just on the list. Yeah, that's right. So go ahead. With, uh, so uh, I sat down with uh, two ladies, and uh, one uh, I call them my angels now mm -hmm. because I didn't get it at the time. Uh, they were authority figures, and uh, I knew that they could get me in trouble. But today I call them my angels, and uh, they asked me, uh, "Do you think you can come back and give us a clean test in three days?" And I said, "I'm, I'm very seriously going to doubt that because I haven't been clean in uh, since the 38th of February." <laughs> And uh, they said, I said, how do you think I can do that? And they said, well, why don't you try to eat something and try to sleep? <laughs> and I found that very odd because, you know, eating and sleeping wasn't on my agenda yeah, of things to right. do. Yeah. And uh, so Kim and, and Bethany uh, said, try that and try to come back and give us a clean test in three days. And I was able to, to come back in three days. And I gave them, a, and this is very emotional for me because I gave my first clean test on September 21st, 2006. And I'll never forget that day, and I'll never forget my two angels and what they've done for me, what I thought they did for me, because, you know, they gave me the encouragement and the love and support that it took to give me a solution to do something different. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. I just thought I had to. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, and I love how you started out by saying it just wasn't working anymore. You right. know? Um, I remember in February of 1986, you know, as we know, I had the relapse and then came back in April 25th, 1986. And I, by the grace of God and the fellowship of AA and the 12 steps of recovery, I've been clean and sober over 33 years. And uh, every day is a, is a miracle. We know that, don't we? Yes, we do. We, we are walking, sharing miracles of this plan of recovery. That part. And, and I knew that morning, Scott, just like you knew that day, it wasn't going to work because I knew that if something in my life didn't change, I was going to die. And of all the things that scared me and little did at that point, dying was one of them because as we previously discussed, I didn't want to die. I just, I just didn't know how to live. You know, and drinking and using was the only thing that I found outside of a few other things that um, that sort of quieted and, and neutralized that pain that really kept me from blowing my brains out. You know, thank God for alcohol and drugs and overeating and pornography yeah, and gambling. Yeah, 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 because if they didn't keep me in that neutral state, I would have had to drive my car off a cliff. Insanity. You know, yeah. And, and we get faced with that. And it's on those days where we say, because I, I like, you know, what you said, you, you went away and, and for some miracle, you were able to not drink or use for three days. Wow. Did you know, I say that? You, yeah. <laughs> and and, and we're, 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 a, we're a people who will swear off at 8 a.m. and be hammered by 11. 
Um, I'm like Dr. Pepper. I drink a 10, 2, and 4. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's awesome. So, so what was it, Scott, when you got in there, at what time, when, when the light started to go on, you know, that, that a bits of clarity that we get a little physical sobriety, we're, we're in a safe environment where we're, and, and we realize we're with people who are like us. And, and for people who suffer from terminal uniqueness, right? Oh, yeah. Starting to think that we're like other people. It was, how did that help in you staying to see maybe this could be for me? Did you have an experience like that? If so, what was that like? You know, it took me a minute, and I can't say when it happened, but I think for me, the groups that I had to attend to were very awkward. But then I started being, you know, I was mandated to go to uh, 12-step-based programs. Uh And I was introduced to a lady, uh, Erlene C., and uh, the two counselors that I had at the time said, we want you to hang out with her. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't really kick it with anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm an isolator. Let me go back to my garage. I'll be fine. (laughs) So I, I, you know, I... I got in touch with Erlene. She was already graduated from this program, but she kept coming back around, and we connected. And uh, she took me some NA meetings, and she took me some some AA meetings. And uh, I still didn't fit in anywhere. It just didn't feel right. But the groups were very awkward for me. Um, I didn't like being in a room with people. I didn't like that guy over there because he had a, a Mercedes and he had a great job. And I didn't like being with that guy over there because he was just a street bum. You know, I had all these conclusions and judgments and, and predispositions made about other people because I didn't fit anywhere in that genre. Yeah. And uh, so, I, I, you know, for me, Robert, I, I think that uh, mm, I started to fit in when uh, I started getting that clarity. It took me a long time because I don't think I could read very well, but I think the first time I got a reading and I tried to say anonymity, I was embarrassed. And uh, that kind of stepped me back for a little bit, but then I kept pushing through this, try this reading, it's a little easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the meet- before the meeting. So some of those things, and it's a culmination of everything that got me out of me to fit in. So was it like a, a gradual light that just started to get brighter over time? Or was it more like a, a three-way light where you have three, it gets, you know, medium yeah. light to medium to bright? Well, it was def- definitely a dimmer switch effect. Yeah, you know, okay. Know, nothing, that, I didn't have great, you know, uh, what do we call a lightning bolt experiences. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I didn't want to be where I had to be. And I didn't want to be around you people because yeah. you're all crazy and you're just, you know, you're just a bunch of drug addicts and you don't know how to use or drink like I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of ego that goes along with that. So you get to a point where you're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable, uh, which is probably for most of us, some t- for some of us, it's we've never been comfortable um, or at least it's been a long time since we were able to um, feel that sense of ease and comfort. When, when you started to feel that, um, did you start working the steps? What was that like that began to give you the confidence? Because we don't stick around if we don't have confidence and hope and, and see this as a way for us because we are addicted in so many ways, not just the the physiological where, where alcohol and drugs are sort of stamped in our DNA with the set point. 
but even when that goes away, there's that psychological, that emotional addiction that we have to you know, recover from as well. That as the founders say, that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, right? Yeah. It has nothing to do with about the alcohol, the drugs, the other substances. It has everything to do with that psychosocial dynamic, that spiritual depravity. You know what I'm talking about? I do. So, so you see those, so what was that like for Scotty B? Well, I think I think when I started hitting the meetings, it really it really came alive for me. I uh, you know I, I saw the people I identified as addicts, and then, you know, and then when I would go over to AA, they would say alcoholics, and I had a different feel with that. You know, I wanted the pride and ego to say, you know, I'm an addict, right? But here's here's Scott the addict. He'll have that bottle of vodka late at night watching the Oprah show, right? And they're giving away cars, and I'm sitting there crying and saying, we got to save these children. And then Sarah McLaughlin comes on, we got to save the dogs you know she sings that pretty little song arms of the angel late at night that everybody knows and i will sit there and cry in my couch at that's that beautiful song those little dogs with the tears in their eyes that's the kind of sensitive alcoholic i am so i had to look at that sensitivity yeah. but also when to get back to your point is when i when i started hearing people identify then i saw some people that i knew from the street wow that were clean and they had six months and i'm like oh my gosh that's crazy. That that guy could, or she could never. They could never get clean. I, you know, and then it kind of gave me that glimmer, that little spark that it takes. Wow. Well, maybe I can do that. But I was in a relationship, and and when I got into the Prop Thirty Six program, I still had to go home with an active user, and uh, so I would sabot. I would. I call it. I would set her up with literature. Because when I was leaving for meetings, right, I had to go to meetings. I knew I was going back to jail if I didn't. So uh, she would, I would leave when she wasn't around, taking a shower with her. But I remember her chasing me down the street with her hair wet in the towel because I left when she took a shower because I had to go to a meeting. And she was, I know what you do at those meetings. I know what those meetings are all about. It's a meat market. It's to pick up. And, you know, so I had to overcome some obstacles because we were firing gasoline. We had no trust. There was nothing left in the relationship. The relationship was built on on, on uh, alcohol and drugs and the lifestyle and everything else like that. So there's nothing left. So I would leave literature out. And she finally asked me, you know, what do you guys do with those minis? What, you know, and I left the, the papers from the group. So I said, listen, what we're doing. She says, do you think I can go to one of those meetings? Wow. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here we go. Now I'm going to, this is going to be really <laughs> <new> bad. <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, you can go to a meeting with me. And, uh, you know, she actually has uh, a sobriety date uh, seven days later than I do. Wow. So, that you know, again, back to fire and gasoline, you know, we always say that in a relationship in the first year, uh, but I was in a long-term relationship sure. with this woman, and, and, and that relationship obviously dissolved later on in recovery because there we were. Who are we? Right. And, uh, you know, we've got this young boy and, and uh, you know, I've got to stay clean because I'm yeah. mandated to this stuff. So sure. I'm going to try and do something different. But I heard the message of hope and recovery. And then I started hearing some other stuff. That's awesome. You know, and I love the word hope. John Maxwell, and you've heard me share this before, just trainer and motivational speaker extraordinaire. John Maxwell said, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. And, and we gain power, don't we? Just a sense of confidence that even the, the, the alcohol and the drugs and the other behavior could never bring us. It just That just brought us to a place where we didn't have to blow our brains out, but there was never any power in it 
because actually, as we learn in step one, we were powerless over alcohol and that our life had become unmanageable. Super unmanageable. <laughs> yeah, totally, which is a, just a lack of power. That was yeah. our dilemma, yeah. right, as it, as it says. So here you are, where did you first get the idea of service being a part of an integral part, not just a maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, where your light went on, something happened, something was told to you or just grew on the inside of your personal recovery where you said, you know what, I need to serve others if I'm going to get what I want. Well, I, I think what happened for me was, is, uh, you know, I heard about commitments uh-huh. and I never committed to much of anything other than finding the getting and the using. Right. You know, I committed to that real well. Sure. I took jail commitments, yeah. you know, <laughs> mandatory, uh, but I never committed to much and I wasn't, I wasn't a finisher on anything, but I, I, I think what happened is I saw that. That diamond over the NA uses this unity service self and recovery, and AA is unity service recovery circled in the fellowship with a circle around it. And uh, then I heard stuff about H and I, and I had no clue mm-hmm. what H and yeah. I was. And then they said, well, there's no high like H and I. And I'm like, well, I like the high, so why don't I try some H and I? And uh, somebody took me on a panel and they said, you can't talk. <laughs> so why not? I got a lot to say. They said, that's why. <laughs> You've got a lot to say, but none of it's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I actually got to sit on a couple panels and then, uh, you know, I made coffee at a meeting. Yeah. And I signed cards at a meeting and uh, I started getting commitments and secretary positions and stuff, you know, as I got the time enough allotted to, to take those commitments on. And I became part of some of the events and the conventions. And some of the things that started me early on were a couple of retreats. I was fortunate enough to have a couple of men gather me up and say, you're going okay. to this retreat. Good. Yeah. Nice. So, so little by little, you... Was it that you saw others doing it and you decided to join them or or was there like some some revelation, some some indication that you needed this to be a part of? Because doing those things is really just doing those things. It's just actions that we know, you know, we come from that place of coercion, you know, but somewhere along the line, it needs to translate internally where where we just do it be not because we need to do something but we do it because it's who we are yeah. as we as we transform and reinvent ourselves right i agree i agree yeah so what am i trying to put a finger on that but uh i would say that um seeing other people do it uh something was something called me in my heart to it and i'm going to say this because um i wanted to do more and i wanted to stay sober and i liked recovery uh, early on, you know, they said 90 and 90, and I know I was doing 180 plus yeah. in, in that period of time. We had the fortunate ability to be able to do that at the time. So um, the service part of it, you know, grew on me, you know, mm-hmm. just grew on me. It wasn't like I wanted to be this guy or anything. I didn't want to be famous in an anonymous program or anything like that, yeah. you know, but uh, the bottom line for me was is like, They said, if you do this, you might stay sober. If you're of service. And then I heard, I have to be a maximum service to God and my fellows. And that kind of sparked me a little bit. And then I heard primary purpose. See, I have no purpose in life. Right. And then I heard something about 
you know, I've got a primary purpose now to be of service to God and my fellows. Yeah. You know, and I've always had this heart that I knew was there, um, a giving heart. But most of the time it was to pacify people or uh, fit in and uh, people please. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my people pleasing kept going, but my service changed and my outlook changed because I also heard that, you know, sometimes we have to move on to the next, you know, uh, meaning when you're working with another alcoholic and they're not receptive to that, we have to move on to the next. And so the boundaries started coming naturally to me. You know, okay, this one's not ready. I have to see. So service started happening. And then I started getting those clearances. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I got clearances to go back into the same places which I came mm -hmm. from. Uh, in California, we have the Pitches Honor Rancho up in Santa Clarita, California. And, uh, you know, that's where I took a parenting class. And they let me have a visit with my son in this parenting class. It was one of the most emotional, moving things that I'd ever done. Uh, these two ladies that were there... Um, they gave back to uh, the, the fellows that were locked up on the south yard over there because one of them, one of the women's son was killed in an institutional murder. And they had this heart, this giving heart, and, and they touched my life. They touched my life in a way that it's unexplainable. Um, they let my kid come through uh, the, the uh, Sally Port and have a visitation with me there. And uh, something happened in that translation, I think, in jail where, you know, we have these people that come into these institutions. It's a big part. So, you know, the same institutions that I got taken through, shackled up on buses, they now let me hand them. I pulled up to the, the guard shack and I hand them my driver's license. They, think, they say, thank you, Mr. Brickner. And pick up your license when you come back. Yes. And, I'm, and I giggle all the way through that gate. I think to myself, if they only knew. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm so glad you brought that up because... You know, the notion that we get to leave is so humbling that when we're done with our service, and I still feel that same way when I go into, whether it's a halfway house in the prison system for women or the state penitentiary in Utah, the various levels of security, when I, when I hear those doors close behind me on my way out, I, I get so humble because I know that God kept those things from me that for whatever reason he didn't keep from those other men or women that, that my price of admission didn't include incarceration for 10, 15, 20, for some of them lifelong, yeah. because we all stand the risk of, I call them the Jones family of five. You know, that we, we, we run that intersection. I remember driving down Arrow Highway um, from Azusa Avenue, going to a club over on, I think it was over on Badillo. And there was a club there and I was stoned. We had we had smoked some Colombian red bud cured in honey oil and laced with hash. I remember. Coming on the purple microdot drinking cores while we were playing spades, wow. right? So here I am on LSD, drunk as a skunk, high on, on uh, Thai bud, uh, cured in opium and laced with hash, driving down the street. I don't know. I'm out of my mind, right? How many of those men or women woke up in jail cells just to hear that they killed the, what I call, again, the Jones family of five? How we dodged those bullets, whatever reason, we were never 
guilty or convicted of that. And for that, I'm very grateful. So going in and coming out is pretty miraculous, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. And I've also gotten cleared for the prisons too. Wow. I don't go back anymore, but uh, because my life took a different turn. Sure. Yeah. And you want, and we want to talk about that because the turn is yeah. welcome home, sober living. And, and folks, if you haven't heard much about it, you're going to hear some of it now, but what a great opportunity to support a life changing mission, um, of women and children who without ministries like this would have no place to go. Uh, so, so Scott is the founder of Welcome Home Sober Living and we wanna spend some time. So as part of your service, where did you get the vision for Welcome Home? So uh, Covina Recovery, I'm gonna start there because Covina Recovery, uh, we have a, a carpet banner on the wall over there and it says mm -hmm. it's the sobriety capital of the world. Well, back in the day, we called it the meth capital of the world. <laughs> but uh, in that area, uh, similar to Pasadena, California, and a lot of towns throughout the nation now, uh, there's, there's a, a, a lot of sober living homes and uh, opportunities to come from treatment, a bridge from treatment into a sober living, a controlled environment, but less controlled than, you know, a residential treatment center. So I had I'd made friends with uh, a few of the owners of those sober livings, and I thought I saw that they were just regular guys and gals like me mm -hmm. and you. And uh, I think actually I had a, a dream one time with my ex, you know, maybe we'll do a sober living one day. And, um, you know, I explained earlier, you know, that relationship didn't work out. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I, what led up to that was I, I always had a desire to do that. But, uh, you know, God's got a plan. It was never mine because yeah. this is not what I picked. Okay. Sure. I was going to be a millionaire by 30 or I'm yeah. sitting on an island with an umbrella drink. But uh, so I, what happened for me was is I got a car wreck and, and I, the way I look back at things is, is like everything happens for absolutely, it says in the book, absolutely nothing absolutely happens in God's world by mistake. So I don't get it at the time. I'm not in the moment or anything like that. But later on, I look and go, oh, that's not coincidence. Right. That wasn't a coincidence. Those things shouldn't happen. And, and, and so what happened was I got a car wreck. I, was, I got a little money. And uh, I was running out of that. I got a settlement, smashed the car, totaled the car out, and uh, had some injuries. You know, I was healing from those. And uh, the, the money that I got was running out. I said, I, I'm scrambling here. <laughs> and like, what do I do, God? <laughs> you know, yeah. without saying that, you know, just like, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> and, uh, you know, an opportunity for a home came up and uh, it was offered to me. And uh, a person said, here's this house. Uh, give me $1,450 and you can move in. And I said, I want to, you know, I kind of indicated I want to start a sober living and I've been not, you know, knocking it around for a while. And I gave her $1,450 and she gave me the keys to the house and we signed a lease option to buy it that day. She said, I love what you're doing. And uh, so what happened was I had that house and we, it's, it was the development of Welcome Home Sober Livings for Women, Infants, and Children. It was the infancy of it. We call it House Zero now because it, it's no longer in existence. The house is, but we don't uh, work out of that house. And uh, so I ran this thing. Uh, I called my, my angels from uh, the treatment facility that mm -hmm. developed a relationship in the rooms as well as the built a relationship with them from my treatment center. And uh, I said, 
you know, she was working at a different facility now. And I said, look, I've got this house. What do you think I should do? She said, Scott, why don't you start a children's women, women, infants and children's home? We will support you from our center and then help you to get this thing to grow. Yeah. So it was pretty amazing. Uh, and um, I always remind her of that, you know, that her, how God puts these people in our lives. And we're talking years earlier, she was the one that did my intake. Right. Right. And then grown in recovery, was growing to be of service. And uh, she, that was part of the deciding factor. And then uh, Melissa came along, Melissa, my co-partner yeah. and uh, everything, uh, you know, that she does for Welcome Home and, the, uh, you know, the women, she's a women's advocate and she works special needs. She's a caregiver. And uh, uh, but when Melissa came along, she came out of treatment and I said to her, Melissa, do you want to uh, manage a sober living? And she was fresh out of treatment, raw, really raw. And she's fighting to get her kids back. And she said yes. And that was the inception of it all. When she said yes, it was on. And uh, so what happened, what, it was kind of crazy because neither one of us were prepared or skilled or anything. There was no training or teaching. And we, we, uh, we both went through the uh, Sober Living Network uh, Owners and Operators Management Training. And, you know, which we kind of gave you the guidelines, but it, it had, I had no clue what yeah, it was in Just more like for. X's and O's, yeah, not the yeah, real life that, application. Yeah, X this, that, and that, that in. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, we jumped in with both feet. Uh, um, that house, uh, that lease option turned out to be uh, not true. It wasn't a real lease option to buy. I didn't do my homework. I was motivated to just start something. And uh, the lady that did the lease option actually wasn't the owner of the home. A year later, I had started this up and we were working with some outside agencies and Department of Children's Family Services. And a guy came up and said, what are you guys doing in my house? And I, I didn't know what to think, you know, who are you? <laughs> he said, uh, I'm the owner of the home. And I said, no, you're not. I've got a lease option to buy for this home. And God does for, what us, does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Again, we started negotiating for us to stay there with these women and children and infants and all this stuff. And it was very confusing. And uh, uh, it was difficult at first. It wasn't easy. And I was coming out of pocket to have, to have the facility, the home. Because we aren't facilities, we are homes, and yeah. we make it a family home. Um, so uh, he negotiates with me up until the sixth day before we're ready to sign a lease. He says, I don't want to do it. And here I've got all these moms and kids in this house, and they've got no place to go. So I have to I have to, you know, buy some time. So I get an attorney and say, can you buy me some time so I don't displace all these people? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we'll get you some time. And we negotiated it out. Um, in the interim, uh, we found a, Melissa found a, a guy on Facebook by chance. Again, one of those coincidences, not yes, yeah, right. And Spencer just puts a little ad on Facebook and says, hey, I'm doing real estate. He's a 21-year-old kid. And he meets us up with this other person. And uh, the other person identifies themselves as a broker. And I tell them what we do and why we do it because I can't go into this thing, you know, trying to just swindle something out. Sure. I'm working a program of recovery today. So I got to be upfront with everything I do and honest, right? Because that's the principle behind the first step. If I'm not working that first step, how do I touch on the that's rest, right. you know? Yeah. And uh, so if I'm not honest in my, all my affairs, I'm just cheating everyone and most of all myself. And she, and so I tell her what we do. She's kind of not really buying into this whole thing, doesn't know what it is. And the second time we meet, she says, you know, I kind of have an idea what you're doing, but I know you're helping people in your service. And my husband and I hopped it over. We want to, we want you to, what's your credit score? And, and I held up my phone and showed her my credit karma, credit uh -huh, score. Right. And she says, okay, sign the papers. 
and we procured a six-bedroom, three-bathroom house and started Welcome Home Sober Living's number wow. one. After a year of being in the business, and then since then we've expanded on that too to a total of four homes and uh, working with these amazing outside agencies and Department of Children's Family Services. We do family reunification, which uh, we, you know, we want to talk about something different. How would I end up in that spot? And I always pinch myself, like, how do I get here? You know, <laughs> God, you're a funny, you're a real funny guy. Yeah. And, and uh, but, you know, the blessings keep coming, the miracles keep coming. We keep getting these moms and kids yeah. back together and they, they're fighters. So they, they, they drive me to fight. They yeah. drive me to push forward. They drive me to do better. And then I get these relationships with these kids, you know, and they walk in the door and it's like grandpa's here. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uncle Scott's here. You know, yeah. it's just kind of that relationship. You know, they look to me as the male role model. And, and obviously, Melissa is just one of the most amazing yeah. women on the planet. Yeah. Uh, she just does so much for these ladies. And she got her kids back, you yeah. know, in, in this process. And then Johnny Boy, he's, 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 he's really special to us, special to us because he is special. He's yeah. autistic and Down syndrome, and he's been. We have home health care coming into yeah. our homes. We don't turn anybody away for any special needs or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, uh, how does it how does it happen, Robert? You know, yeah. how does it happen? My my goal was to do maybe women's or maybe men's homes, but then the women, infants, and children. And I think for me, you know, I, I had a strained I have a strained relationship even today with my daughters. It kind of came together and it fell apart. But uh, you know, you you talked about in your podcast, yeah. you know, about those relationships yeah. and how we walk away. And I did the same thing. So yeah. I was so relatable when you talk about that. And I'll probably talk about that more with you off, off yeah. mic. <laughs> yeah. But because it, it touches it touches me when you talk about that, um, you know, those relationships. But I had to raise a boy in, in this whole time, too, because when we broke up, you know, I... I was. I heard in the book. You know, uh, we've been blessed by many great doctors and therapists, and uh, we we suggest that if you're in this program, that you might think about doing that. So I found a therapist, and uh, you know, again, God does for us what we can. Yeah. I found the most amazing therapist, and I've been able to use utilize her as a resource for my homes and other people. And Cynthia, oh my gosh. Uh, Cynthia told me some stuff when, when my, my ex and I broke up and I became a single dad overnight mm -hmm. and I took my son in with yeah. me and I took my son in there and, and uh, we'd already been doing some family counseling and uh, <clears throat> she, says, she said, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, Zach's staying with me. My son's staying with me. And uh, Zach, how do you feel about that? And he said, what am I going to eat? <laughs> well, at least you have priorities, right? right? right. Yeah. And, and then she said, your dad's going to cook for you. What am I going to wear? She said, your dad's going to wash your clothes and make sure you're ready for school and everything else like that. And I said, how am I going to do that? And she said, Scott, it's time to turn your wishbone into a backbone. Yeah. And you need to stand up straight. That's and, awesome. And she gave me some advice on the relationship that was dissolved, dissolved or dissolving. She said, now you need to, now you need to, I mean, this is really hard words. You need to ask her to leave. And I was like, oh no. Gotta do what? Because we, we don't do that out there. Right. We don't that's you know, that's we kinda overlook that stuff. Sure. Okay, so you like this guy and you're texting him or whatever. You know, so she said, No, that's that's unacceptable. And I didn't really get that it was unacceptable, you know. And uh it, it hit me, it hit me right between the eyes. That is unacceptable. You know, it's cheating. Yeah. And uh, you know, I became a single dad and and then welcome home just kept developing and and uh I raise my son, you know, in the park meetings and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. he hears this message all the yeah. time. And it comes out of him today. And he's 19 years old. And it's just an amazing blessing. 
but welcome home, you know, Melissa, Melissa jumped in with both feet fresh out of treatment and it's, you know, there are no, God makes no mistakes. Yeah. And he put Melissa there and me there and at the right time in the right place. And these, these awesome people that bought these houses for us to do this you know, ministry, right. uh, you know, we're a 12 step based home and, and uh, connecting to the community. And it's just evolved. You know, there's a huge need for what we do out there. Uh, not not a lot of people want to touch on it. Because yeah, we're busy. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of yeah, yeah, parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only legal, but practical, logistical, familial, uh, emotional. Um, you know, women who are looking to get their children back after losing them, primarily from addiction and working with the courts and and uh, and you know, Scott. That's one of the things that impresses me so much about you. And Melissa, and just over the years watching her grow from a from a, a house mom in one home now overseeing four homes. Absolutely. And and her growth and her sobriety, she's been what seven so years now, seven, right? She'll be seven this month. Yeah, and which is uh, you know, and, and now she gets to be the example to the women who were her when she was first getting out of the treatment, saying, if you do these things, you can have this as well. You know, and, uh, yeah, and and what a what a that wonderful experience. transformational story that that is, and so obviously we we really sense the passion and 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 really how that translates into what you're doing, and 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 I know you're growing. We talked about it at dinner the other night. Give us an idea in our few minutes left together. What's your vision, and what are some of the things that you're doing at Wel- Welcome Home? to help expand some of the opportunities and resources uh, that you're getting for these women and children that you're serving? So right now we're, we're really starting to push a uh, underserved population of uh, prenatal and natal mm-hmm. women that are pregnant and locked up in jails. And uh, because California has uh, some, some new stuff called AB 109, it's an amendment bill, AB 109, it's called post-release uh, community clients. And uh, so our goal is to start working in that population where the low level drug offender, uh, something that doesn't, you know, it, it qualifies for this program. So we can attach to the courts to get those women that have kids. And we know that the biggest hole in some of our hearts is those kids. Right. It's a huge thing for these, for these they men try, and women. Because they are victims. Yeah, they are victims in this. They didn't pick this yeah. for them, you know. Yeah. And just like just like we didn't pick ours, you know, exactly it happened. But uh, so we're looking in some areas like that. Um, you know, we always already work with some really really amazing uh, treatment centers that you know send these ladies to us uh, post treatment, post residential treatment. So we're just going to expand on that. And as the laws change and the funding allows for, if you take a look at cost, the cost to house an inmate between thirty-five and sixty-five thousand dollars a year. Right. You know our beds are moderately cheaper than that. Yeah. Obviously, we're not treatment, <laughs> so we 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 fit in the guidelines. And, and there's the not the stigma in your because I've been to your homes. Yeah. I've had an opportunity to come in and speak to Absolutely. your your. Uh, your your house guests and get a sense of what they are. It's like walking into anyone's home. It certainly doesn't look like they're in part of a uh, incarceration or halfway house because this is home. I mean, it it looks just like my home, your home, just 
because it, people are people. Yeah. You know, yeah. people are just people. And some of us had some bad luck and some of us had some stuff happen yeah. to us as children and it, it translated into our lives, yeah. you know, some post-traumatic stress and domestic violence and yeah. some horrible things, yeah. you know. But yeah, our homes, our families, yeah. we live as a family, we cook as a family, we clean as a family, we are a family. Yeah. And we, we fit in the community as a family. Yeah. You know, so it, it's amazing how it works. And how, how, Scott, can people um, find out more about what you're doing? Can they follow on Facebook or and then it, can they support any of the women in emotional and even, sub, you know, tangible substance ways? Is there what what can the community do for the podcast? Because I know we've got some listeners who want to see how can I make a difference? How can I? plug into something where I know is really ha- helping women and their children is how do they reach out? How do they become involved? Do they follow you? Is there a way for them to give? Is there a way for them to, to be a part of this wellness movement that Welcome Home Sober Living where they can support Melissa or your other house managers, how they can support you and the vision you have for this recovery community? So with that said, uh, we do have a Facebook page. Uh, I don't have a website. Um, I don't have an Instagram page, but we do have a Facebook page. It's called Welcome Home Sober Libby's. It says for women, infants, and children. Uh-huh. And uh, the reason for that is there's some level of uh, protection we have sure. to provide. Anonymity so and anonymity privacy and, and sure. And then there's, we've got a lot of domestic violence situations, so we want to kind of keep it to a minimum. But if you want to support through our welcome homepage, we don't ask for money. Uh-huh. You know, this this is God's deal. God right. provides the money every yeah. time, you know, to keep the doors open. But if somebody outside. wanted to give, they could certainly... We love we love outside support by following our pages and liking and, and, and posting mm-hmm. comments to the ladies that, you know, just got their kid back or just right. got a year clean and sober. They've been doing this for two years, mm-hmm. you know, via V treatment to, to residents or to sober living. Yeah. So that that's, that's some of the biggest things we can do for people is yeah. just encouragement. If somebody wanted to write you a check... And, and support some of the things that you're doing. Obviously, you've got to furnish the place, right? And you've got new beds coming in and beds get old and they need to be... Right. So if somebody wanted to do that, would they make a check out to Welcome Home Sober Living? Or? That, would, that would work, yeah. We could, I'm a sole proprietor, so I, I could fall under either Welcome Home uh-huh. or Scott Brickner. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and they could get an address through either you or message email. My, number, my number's on the Facebook page and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always willing to give my number to anybody who needs okay. I always say I'm 24-7, 365. Give my number to anybody yeah. who may need it. Yeah. Anywhere, anyone, anytime. anytime. Doesn't matter. Reaches out their hand. We no, want the hand of AA to be. For that, yeah. we are responsible. And that's why I go by Scott Brickner, yeah. too. So Good. you can reach me like that. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know what? And I and I appreciate a program of, an, of anonymity, but... The re- last. Yeah, care. yeah. The <laughs> recovery guy is Robert Pardon. It only takes you a minute to figure out who I am. You know, I'm 12 stepping on the street, and I do that a lot. Yeah. I'm here in Pomona. You know, uh, I'm Scott Brickman. Yeah. Here's here's my you know my sure. card. Or yeah. My flyer. Yeah. I, I want flyer. people to know. I I want them if they need to find me, mm-hmm. knowing my last name, they can find me. 
Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, you know, and for those of those who aren't that comfortable with that, that's fine. I, you I know, get it. The, you know, I anonymity, is, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions. It took me two years to learn how to say that. <laughs> <Anonymity>. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm still not sure if I say it right. Yeah, or I can say right. synonyms or anonymity, you know. Yeah, that's right. So, Scott, it's been a pleasure, folks. Uh, if you didn't listen to um, uh, The Fix uh, with part one with Scott, I really want you to go back and listen, get a sense of who this man, who this friend of mine, this brother, this warrior of recovery is. And then, of course, with this segment, learn a little bit more about what he and Melissa and the rest of the team are doing with Welcome Home Sober Living, how you can be a part of that. And even in your own community, maybe you want to start something like this in your own community rather than supporting what Scott and Melissa are doing. Message Scott and say, hey, in my community in Des Moines, Iowa or, or, or uh, Seattle, Washington or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, wherever you're from, um, I want to do this. How do I do this? How can I replicate? Because why reinvent the wheel, right? There's a path. There's a blueprint um, that uh, that is here in Welcome Home Sober Living to not only teach you how to start something, but how to maintain it and grow it. Uh, Scott, before we close out, is there anything you want to add? We obviously got to give a shout out uh, and thank you to Melissa Schumann. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll say our managers, and I'll keep their anonymity in place. Uh, Kay, Kay is a manager of Welcome Home 3. Lisa manages Welcome Home number 2. And uh, Felicia manages Welcome Home number four. It's, an, it's actually called the Satikoy Bridge House. It's a bridge from treat from ninety day residential treatment to ninety days of transitional housing. So, well, I was impressed before I got here because I've known what you've done for a while. Uh, matter of fact, we've got it on my website uh, from December of two thousand sixteen at recoveryguide.org. Um, I had. Uh, Melissa and Scott put together, they had the gals uh, put together some questions and I actually do have a, a video um, segment on my website uh, from those questions and get an idea of what they're concerned with. And you know what, and it's just like anyone else in recovery, they wanna know the same things. How do I, how do I reinvent myself? So I know, I know I don't want to be who I am or was, but I'm not sure of how to become the person I want to be. And, and, and that's where you and I come into play. So, uh, Scott, thank you again for, no, for being you, a part Robert. of that. My props are to you for coming out here and just being able to us to sit in the here and now and have yeah. this, these sessions. And uh, I'm so grateful for you because you've led me along this way as a mentor. Yeah. You're not my sponsor, but you know, not everybody has to sponsor me. I have a lot of yeah. mentors like you that I lean on, and you're one of the one of those special ones. So thank yeah. you for that. I appreciate that. And uh, eventually, you know what? I'm 66 years old. I know, wow. you know, God willing, I I've got a few years left. But just like Good my kid. sponsor Jack, yeah, yeah, it's because I, I got a full head of hair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really deceiving. Yeah. Um, and just like we leave a legacy, you know. Uh, matter of fact, Stephen Covey. I've got the four L's to live, to love, to learn, and to leave a legacy. And that's what we want to do in recovery. For those of us who have recovered and have been given this new way of living, our desire is to leave a legacy that those who come in after us will know how to walk the path that we've all walked. And, and it's an amazing journey. Thank you for being with us for the checkup today. My name is Robert, and I am 
the recovery guy.